Well, church, it is time for a word. If you are ready for a word, why don't you say out loud, I'm ready. Type it in the comments as well. I'm ready. I believe that this text is going to bless you. Our text today is John chapter 15, the book of John, the 15th chapter, the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus are powerful, are they not? Let me say this before we get into our text today. Just in case you have not heard it so far this week, I want to let you know that I see you you are important, God loves you, and you are not in this alone. Let me say it again, I see you, you are important, God loves you, and you are not in this life alone. We bring so much to these services and sometimes what we need is not a pithy phrase or a big theological word. What we need is timeless truth that God sees, God knows, and God loves. If you needed to hear that, if you hear me, and perhaps, if you even receive that and are rooted in it, standing with it, why don't you type in the comments, I receive it. Type, I receive it. I believe that that is a transformative truth, the most transformative truth that we need to build our lives upon, that God sees, God knows, and God loves. John chapter 15, I'll just read one verse here, verse 11 in John chapter 15, it goes like this in the NIV version. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Will you lift up your hands right now, wherever you're watching? God in heaven, we thank you for every family, every person, every soul, every image bearer that is represented in this moment. God, I pray that your presence would be felt in their homes, in their cars, wherever they are, with friends, with family. I pray that there will be a tangible sense that the Holy Spirit is real and that the Holy Spirit has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray for those who need an answer, who need a word, who come in with heaviness. God, I pray that you would lift it, that you would give the answer where necessary, that you would remove the heaviness in every single area of their lives so that they can see you more clearly. God, there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there is an iceberg behind this pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your justice, burn for your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years back, I remember we were having car trouble. Now, for some of you, that's not a big deal, not a crisis. You're mechanically inclined, perhaps you're handy, and so you can figure all this out. But I'm not particularly handy, I'm working on it. And I'm not particularly mechanically inclined, I'm working on that too. But there's another reason why this was stressful for us. Whenever we have car trouble, this is stressful because we are a one-car family. Is there anyone else in the house that is a one car family? Now, I don't know about you, but if you love your pastor truly, and you truly care about your pastor, I don't know if you do, but if you truly do, I believe it. I heard those kind, heartfelt birthday messages. Listen, if you love your pastor, why don't you stretch your hands toward me right now and say, God bless him. Take him out of the one car family. Take him out of that struggle in Jesus name. I don't wanna be a one car family no more. Okay, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm receiving it, I'm claiming my blessing, okay? I receive it. I believe you're lifting your hands and stretching them towards us right now. I receive it in the name of Jesus. 
And whenever there is a particular mechanical issue, we typically go to a mechanic, go to an auto shop. But in this case, I was resolute, y'all. I felt like I could figure it out on my own. And you know how as men, when you feel like you can figure it out on your own, sometimes your wives are like, why don't you just go to an expert? Why don't you just drop it off at the shop? Why don't you just call the mechanic? Why don't you just do this the easy way? But you know, we got to make it real hard. So I believed in my heart of hearts that I could figure out the problem. And so I was studying and Googling and tinkering and I didn't want to ask anybody because I don't like asking for help. I don't know. Pray for me. And I remember I was sitting back and I was thinking, and I was like, I think I'm going to have to take it to the mechanic. I think I am going to have to break down and say, truly, I don't know. But right before I did, I did some research and I found out something about my car, something that I had not known up until then. To my shame, I had not known about the importance of the engine air filter. The engine air filter is so important to the car that no matter how powerful your engine is, no matter how reliable your car may be, if your engine air filter needs to be replaced and you do not replace it, all the dust and unfiltered air that gets into your engine will eventually cause it to wear down. That a powerful engine, as good as it may be on its own, is not enough if it does not have the proper filter that when clean air comes in, the engine runs at optimal level. When clean air is filtered in, the engine is truly functional. When clean air comes in the way that it is supposed to be, when the flow is right, the engine is able to operate well. And when the engine is able to operate well, the car runs smoothly. Some of you already know this. I didn't know this. And so when I switched out the engine air filter, I remembered that the car started running better. The car wasn't completely fixed, but it changed the flow. It changed the response. It changed the performance because if the wrong filter is in, if the wrong flow is in, the car can't run to its optimal level. I believe that this is not just true for our mechanical construction of our cars, of our vehicles. It's also true for our souls as well. And if our soul is indeed an engine, what is the filter that keeps the flow of our souls running to its optimal level? What is the filter that keeps the clean air of the spirit in and the dirty, unfiltered air of the enemy out? What is our filter? What is the thing that is the secret ingredient, small as it may be, that keeps us going? I believe the thing that keeps us going, small as it may seem to us, is this very simple principle called joy. Why don't you type it in the comments? Type the word joy in the comments. I believe that joy is indeed the soul's air filter. And if joy is the soul's air filter, we must ardently, we must committedly, we must enthusiastically pursue joy in our lives. I remember at the beginning of this year, my wife and I were texting back and forth and it was in the middle of a work day and I was going back and forth with her, checking on her. She was checking on me and she said something that rocked me. It was very simple, but it taught me a lot as she often does. And I asked her how the day was going. She said, it's been a hard day, but babe, I'm choosing joy no matter what. I'm choosing joy no matter what. It's actually become a refrain for our marriage, for our household, for our family, for our ministry. 
that whenever I leave the house, my wife will tell me, choose joy today. No matter what you face, no matter what is in your face, no matter what is bogging or bearing you down, no matter what obstacle that you encounter, no matter who talks about you, no matter what you don't get, no matter what you do get, choose joy no matter what. It's a brilliant, poignant reminder because for many of us, we must be honest and admit that as Christians, as believers in Jesus, the source of all joy, the source that should keep us joyful at all times, we do not have joyful lives. And I've already mentioned it before. I believe that God has called for us to have a welcoming church. I believe that God has called for us to have a church that is marked by radical, dangerous obedience to God. But I'm going to tell you, I also wish and I also hope and I also desire in my heart of hearts that we are a church that is marked with joy, that we are a church that has powerful, deep, resounding, resolute, rooted joy. If that's you and you know that you need some joy, why don't you type in the comments, I need joy. I need joy. Joy is so important to us that it is really what keeps us going. Henry Nouwen once said that joy is what makes life worth living. Henry Nouwen says joy is what makes life worth living. But if this is true and joy is indeed what makes life worth living, why is it that so many Christians do not have it? Why is it that so many Christians are reading their Bibles doing the things that they think they are supposed to do, and they do not have joy. Might I suggest to you, church, that the chief challenge in your spiritual walk is not for you to avoid something, but for you to acquire something. The chief challenge in the Christian walk is not for you to run away from something negative, but for you to maintain something positive. The chief challenge that you will face in your life, the chief challenge that will keep your soul healthy and running and to keep your mind in tune, no matter how big your anointing may be, no matter how gift, big your gifts may be, no matter how great your talent may be, no matter how large your prosperous bank account may be, if you do not have joy, you are in trouble. If you do not have joy flowing through your veins, if you do not have what this scripture calls in the word joy, it means calm delight. If you don't have calm delight, you are in danger of flaming out. You are in danger of slowing down. You are in danger of running out of gas. You are not in an optimal, functional, optimum level. You are not able to be all that God has called for you to be. And so I believe that God today is challenging us to pursue, to acquire, and to anticipate the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord will keep us going. And this is the great challenge of being a believer, that we must be prepared to acquire and anticipate joy. Why don't you lift up your hands right now? Say it out loud. Say, I need joy. Come on, you better say it from your heart. You better say it from your soul this morning. Church, say it. I need joy. Joy is so important to the believer, but many of us do not have it. Why is it that Christians are not marked and characterized by the joy of the Lord? It doesn't make much sense, does it? But the truth of the matter is many of us are living joyless lives, a joyless existence. 
I'm here to remind you of something, church. A joyless life is not what God intends for us to experience. I'll go a step further that if you have a joyless life, you're living an anti-gospel life. <laughs> now, once again, let me remind you of what joy is. Joy is not based upon external circumstances. Joy is indeed what the word means in this particular passage in John 15. It means calm delight. It means a rootedness. Now, for years, we've heard that joy and happiness are not synonymous. And I don't necessarily know how true that is once we parse down into the semantics. Is it really true that joy and happiness are mutually exclusive, that they are opposed to one another? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But what I can say with definitive certainty is that it is true that happiness is often a human construction. Happiness is often something that is based upon what is happening to, for, or through someone else. Happiness is based upon what people judge and measure as metrics of being set and being in a place to receive the happiness that you so desperately desire. Happiness is about what other people say it is. But I can say definitively that joy is not based upon what other people say. Joy is based upon what you have. Let me say it again. Joy is not based upon what other people say, do, or have. Joy is based upon what you have on the inside of you. And so if it is true that happiness is important, but happiness is just our outer expression of an outer reality, joy is the inner stability in spite of the outer reality. Joy is the inner stability in spite of the outer reality. Joy is being rooted even though all hell is breaking loose around you. Joy is remaining joyful and having a smile on your face, having a calm in your soul, having a peace in your heart, even though everything around you says you should be panicking and going wild. You know what I mean. This is a joy that is unspeakable, indescribable, and yes, it is full of God's glory. The psalmist says it like this in Psalms 30, verse 5. You're familiar with this. What does the text say? It says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. How many of you believe that joy is coming in the morning, that your joy, your weeping is not going to last forever? Your pain is not going to last till the end of all days, that there is a turnaround that is coming, that there is a dawn that is breaking, that the night will end and the joy of the Lord will come. If that's you, why don't you wave at me in the comments and say, I believe my joy is coming. I believe that my joy is coming. I believe that joy is going to overflow. I believe that joy is going to fill up into my heart and spill over and touch my neighbor. I believe that joy is going to be so infectious and contagious in my heart that my family members are going to see it in me and feel joyful themselves. I believe that joy is coming. And if this is true, we must ask ourselves the question, why do we not experience the joy of the Lord? Why do we not experience this powerful, miraculous, unbelievable joy that God offers to us? Can we do something today? I wanna to do a little bit of a joy checklist. Let's do a joy checklist, and some of this is gonna be drawn directly from the text in John chapter 15. Let's do a joy checklist and see if we have the joy of the Lord. Let's get into these questions. These questions will serve as a checklist from the text 
And these questions will help us to see whether or not we are truly cultivating the joy of the Lord. Now, I don't want you to respond to these questions verbally or put them in the chat or even share them with your friends or family members. But perhaps this can be just a thing between you and God, that you can sit back and ask some key questions about whether or not you truly are experiencing, walking in, and flourishing with the air filter of the soul, the joy of the Lord. The first question is this, do you consistently spend time in the presence of Jesus? <laughs> do you consistently spend time in the presence of Jesus? John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles open, why don't you moonwalk up to verse five? And in verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Here, John records Jesus saying these words near the end of his life. The book of John is so interesting because it is compact. And being a compact book of scripture, what we recognize is that Jesus is approaching his death day. Jesus is approaching his, his meetup, his appointment with crucifixion, where he will sacrifice himself, a sinless savior, to save the entire world for the sins of the world. It's good sometimes just to be reminded that Jesus died for you and me. It's good sometimes just to be reminded that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. It is a beautiful reminder, this example of love, showing us what love truly looks like. And Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross. And as he is heading to the cross, he is talking with his disciples and he is encouraging them and he is giving them some final instructions. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, the vine dresser. And Jesus goes on to say that I am the vine and you are the branches. And, and when he says this, he is trying to communicate and convey the end of this verse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This was key for his disciples at the time, and it's essential to us as well because many of us have the misconception that we can accomplish more things apart from Jesus than we actually can. Apart from Jesus, there is no good thing that we can accomplish on our own. There is no eternally lasting thing that we can accomplish. And many of us forget this, and we try to live lives apart from the presence of God. May it not seem strange to us that we don't have the joy of the Lord if we don't spend time in the presence of the joy giver. May it not be shocking to us that we don't have the power of God, that we don't have the delight of God, that we don't have the resolute rootedness of God if we don't spend time in the presence of God. Have you spent time in the presence? Do you, as Brother Lawrence, the great theologian and philosopher would say, do you practice the presence of God? The Bible says in Psalms chapter 16 and verse 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, I know we're busy. I know things come up. I know that things happen. I know that so much is swirling around in our lives and there is much that we have to think about. But never excuse yourself out of spending time in the presence of God. Even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you can get in, sit in the presence of God and allow God to speak to you before you start your day. See how your joy quotient increases 
when you set out that intentional time at the beginning of the day to give to God. Say, God, come in, fill me with your joy, fill me with your spirit, fill me with your love, lead, guide, and direct me. Tell me what I am supposed to do. I can't do anything apart from you. Some of you don't realize this yet, but many of you already know because you have tried to do life apart from the person and the presence of Jesus. Is there anybody who's tried to do something apart from God and you've woefully failed? You've realized that apart from Jesus, I can't do anything. I've tried to use my talent. I've tried to use my might. I've tried to use my strength. I've tried to use my connections. I've tried to use my money. I've tried to use my education. And apart from Jesus, nothing works. Apart from Jesus, I can't do anything. And this is true about the cultivation and the acquisition of our joy. We need to be in the presence of Jesus. When was the last time you were lost in the presence of Jesus? When was the last time you spent intentional time in the presence of God and you came away filled, you came away surprised, you came away shocked that there is so much fullness of joy in God? Let me encourage you for some of you who may be thinking, that I can't go to God because of what I've done. I can't go to God because God doesn't want to see me like this. Can I encourage you that there's no way you can clean yourself up, that there's no way that you can make yourself more presentable. You might as well come on into the King. You might as well come on into the presence of God and see God because God has never looked down upon you for what you have done. If you are a child of God, God sees you as a child of God. You are a child of God. God doesn't see you as you. God sees you as his son, Jesus. And so I want to encourage you. I want to implore you to set aside intentional time that you can only cultivate and develop and acquire joy when you are in the presence of Jesus. Number two, and this is very important as well. Do you have regular time to be instead of do? <laughs> do you have regular time for being? instead of doing. Notice here in John 15, verse six, it says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are plucked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I like the King James Version because it's, it uses a specific word that will be useful for us as we think about being instead of doing. Verse six says this, if a person abides not in me, they are cast forth as a branch and, and withered, and people gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The word is abide. The word is abide. What does it mean to abide in the presence of Jesus? What does it mean to abide in the Son? What does it mean to abide in the reality that Jesus would like for us to abide? Well, it simply means that we are called to receive and believe and trust and embrace that Jesus is everything we need. Now, closely connected to the reality that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything, is also this reality that many of us spend more time doing for Jesus than being with Jesus. Many of us spend more time doing for Jesus than being with Jesus. Many of us spend more time talking about Jesus than talking to Jesus. Many of us spend more time auditing what other people have done 
than sitting down and reflecting on what we haven't done when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Have you spent some time just being church? Have you spent some time receiving and believing and embracing and trusting that Jesus is all that you need? Have you spent some time abiding in the presence of Jesus? I talk about this often, but many of us are caught up in this cycle of being human doings, not human beings. Many of us are caught up in this cycle of constantly running around and living performance-based, achievement-based lives. Many of us are running for the next accomplishment and the next achievement and the next obstacle to overcome because we get our sense of self-worth not from our position and standing in Jesus, but from doing and believing that God will be more excited, more approval, approving of us, more loving towards us if we do for God, if we are able to present God with an array of accomplishments. Can I tell you the accomplishments don't mean as much as you think? Can I tell you that the accomplishments are good, but don't get caught up in the accomplishments as if they are the center of your existence. You are called to be a human being, not a human doing. You are called to abide. And if truly many of us are living joyless lives, I believe it is because we are caught up in, wrapped up in this American consumerist capitalistic mentality that says it is only about what we do and acquire and gain and produce and consume. It is a lie. And I want to remind you that the kingdom of God is not the capitalistic empire of America, that the kingdom of God does not require for us to run ourselves into the ground and live joyless existences of production and achievement and accomplishment. The kingdom of God calls for us first to be in the presence of Jesus. The kingdom of God calls for us first to be beloved children of God. The kingdom of God calls for us first to be a part of a beloved community, a beloved family of God. Don't get it twisted, church. Don't play yourself. You cannot do your way into better relationship with Jesus. It only comes through being. It only comes through abiding, receiving the fact that there's nothing we could do that could cause Jesus to love us more, that there's nothing we could do that could cause Jesus to love us less, but receiving that our position in our Savior's arms is secure. And someone needs to hear that because you're exhausted and you're joyless, not because you've done something wrong, not because you've committed some heinous sin, but because you're wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up on the rat race, the hamster wheel of doing, instead of being and embracing who God has called for you to be. Why don't you lift up your hands right now, wherever you are, and say this out loud, I am a child of God. Say it right now, I am a child of God. First and foremost, no matter how old you are, how accomplished you are, how far along you are in the faith, what titles come before your name, you are a child of God. Let that reality sink in. Let it wash over you. Let it change you and never get caught up in doing more than being. That's what leads to a joyless existence. Are you still with me? Number three, yes, we must talk about being instead of doing, but the truth is, do you live a life of obedience? This is question number three. 
Yes, it is true that we are called to be instead of do, that first we are called to be. But once we have been in the presence of God and once we are abiding in the being of what it means to be children of God, God does also call us to obey the command. God does also call us to do what Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse nine, it says this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How do you do this? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Here, Jesus is challenging his disciples never to forget the reality that we are called to do, that we are called to do good works, that we are called to obey God when God has given us a dictate. Many of us don't realize this because we believe that we are getting by, we are sufficient, we are operating substantially, but our engine is wearing down because we have not obeyed the assignment that God has given us, because God knows that the assignment that he gives to us will bring us ultimate joy. Let me talk about obedience in calling. Let me talk about obedience, not just in this doing good things, not doing bad things, not just in morality and ethics, which is also important, but let me talk about it as it pertains to calling. Do you realize that you can't fully remain in Jesus if you are operating outside of your purpose, outside of your calling, outside of the kingdom assignment that God has given to you? Don't get it twisted, church. I know you can get by, but there is a special level of optimal fulfillment and joy and rest and peace that comes from the obedience to the thing God called you to do. Is there anybody out there that is perhaps wrestling with whether or not to do what God told you to do? We talk so much about purpose here because I believe it is what makes your life go. It is what makes your soul flourish. It is what makes your body whole. It is what makes your spirit fulfilled. But is there anybody who is walking outside of your purpose or perhaps wrestling with whether or not that purpose is actually what God called for you to do? I hope that you realize in this text that God is calling for us to be in the right place at the right time, to obey what the assignment is that God called for us to do, and to stay true to that assignment, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it feels like there's no possible way it's working, even if it feels like we are wasting our time. I want to speak to somebody who feels like they are wasting their time. My friend, <laughs> family, hear me. You are not wasting your time. You are remaining obedient. Don't look at the metrics of what other people have said is success. Don't look at what capitalism, don't look at what other people have accomplished. Don't look at IG timelines. Don't look at these class reunions when you go back. Don't look at this, this, this gathering of family at family reunions when you come together and see all these other people doing supposedly better than you. Are you remaining obedient to what God called you to do? Are you remaining and doing the very thing that God called you and purposed you to do? What is your kingdom assignment? And are you fulfilling it? Do you realize that there's joy, optimum joy, overflowing, unspeakable joy when you're doing the assignment God called you to? Jesus fulfilled his assignment even unto death 
even unto the death of the cross and fulfilled it, the Bible says, with joy. Can you fulfill your assignment? Can you do the thing God called you to do? Can you say yes to God? Let me encourage you if you're wrestling with this or if you feel like you're a failure, to encounter God with those feelings, to engage the presence of God with that honest lament and say, God, help me to see what you have called me to do. And if this is indeed truly what you have called me to do, give me joy in the midst of the journey. Hmm. Give me joy in the midst of the struggle. Give me joy in the midst of the suffering. Uh, there's this quote that I actually wanna read. Frederick Buchner, he said this quote and he said, let me see here, let me find this quote. I'm gonna find this quote because it is so powerful. Frederick Buchner, he says this, yes. He says, joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, catch this, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes. Joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes. Somebody with tears in your eyes right now, you're not a failure. It's not over. You're not disobedient. You're not insufficient. God is proud of you. Remain in what God called you to remain in and let go of everything he didn't call you to. That's where the joy is. That's where the power is. Lift up your hands right now. I feel this so strongly. Lift up your hands and say, God, give me the grace to remain obedient to the assignment you have called me to. Give me a life of obedience, a lifestyle of obedience to be true to the purpose, true to the assignment, true to the mission. Give me joy in the journey in Jesus' name. Number four, and this is the last question for you. Do you love and serve others? Last question on the joy checklist is this. Do you love and serve others? I know what you're thinking. This is about me. This is about my joy. How can this be about others? But Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I have told you this so that your joy, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Notice here in verse 10, it says, oh, actually it says in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then in verse 12, it says, love each other as I have loved you. So the bookends of joy are love. The bookends of joy are a reception of the love of what God has for us and a giving of love to other people. As God has loved us, we love others. I must receive that love first, and then I must freely give that love afterward. And here's what many of us don't realize. Many of us don't realize that our joy is actually found in loving, serving, and caring for other people. Don't tell me that you are frustrated by your joyless existence when you don't serve others. Don't tell me that you are frustrated by the fact that you don't have the joy you think you should have when you don't love others, when you don't serve others. There are some people who are gonna be shocked when they get to heaven 
When they realize that all those people that they should have loved, that they should have served, that they should have cared for, there was unending, unspeakable joy in the presence of the people we least wanted to love. There is unending, unspeakable joy in the presence of the people that God called us to love, but who we are most resistant to loving. Hear me, church. Do not miss out on the plan, purpose, and will of God because you refuse to love others, because you have justified yourself out of loving your neighbor, because you have come up with some creative way to say they don't deserve it. Neither do we. But God loved us anyway. We shouldn't be served by the king of the, of the universe and the creator of the world, but the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords chooses to serve us anyway. Let that keep you humble the next time you try to justify your way out of loving the people God called you to love. Love others, church. Have an overflowing heart towards those whom you think don't deserve your love. Have a heart that remembers and is keenly reminded of the fact that God has loved us. And as God has loved us, we must love other people. You want joy to overflow? Well, I think it's four things. Four questions. Do you consistently spend time in the presence of Jesus? Do you have a regular time of being instead of doing? Do you have a life of obedience? Do you love and serve others? You do those four things, church, consistently, to the best of your abilities, as humbly and as honestly as you know how, I believe that joy will spring up from you. I believe that you will truly abide in Jesus and Jesus will abide in you and your joy will be complete. Jesus's joy will be in you. Perhaps this is why the saints used to say, this joy I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. Jesus, I thank you for your joy. Give us joy in greater depths and measures. Help us to feel and experience you as only you can help us to do. I pray for those who struggle with the time of abiding in your presence. I pray that they would sit in the presence of Jesus and feel you and know that you are there. I pray that we would be a people of being, not just doing. I pray that we would have a lifestyle and a life of obedience, especially when it comes to our assignments and our purposes, the things we like to get out of. And God, I pray that we would love, serve, and care for others. And I pray that we'd be marked by it. And I pray that because of this, this church would be known as a people who have unending, overflowing, unspeakable joy. Give it to us, God. Give us the calm delight that is characteristic of your servants. We'll be careful to serve you, honor you, and love you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. I hope that you have a joy-filled week, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. Choose joy. Well, church, I hope that that word and worship blessed you. I hope it challenged you. I hope the seeds of the gospel were sown deep in the soil of your soul so that you can bear much fruit. We don't just believe in making decisions, we truly believe in making transformation and discipleship. So if you made a decision for Christ today, I hope and desire that you would reach out to us, that you would type home in the comment section of Facebook or YouTube, 
We genuinely want to reach out and talk to you and encourage you and walk with you on this spiritual journey. And when it comes to salvation, I just wanna make this clear that it is just a prayer away. That the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And salvation is the most important decision you can make, the decision to follow after Jesus. It's not just a momentary statement. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a heart transformation. And so if that's you and you desire a heart transformation, it is as simple as lifting up your hands and saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've gone against your way. God, I desire to follow after you for all of my days. I desire to lift up Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I know that Jesus will change my life forever. It's as simple as that. You don't have to use my words. There's no power in my words. The power is in the confession and in the belief. And if you prayed that prayer, again, type home in the comments. We would absolutely love to talk with you and walk with you along this next stage of your spiritual journey. Thank you again for tuning in. If you did not have the chance to give, I want you to click the app uh, link or the giving link up in the description or in the pinned comment, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. That'll take you directly to places where you can set up a one-time or recurring gift if you wanna sow into the kingdom. There's no compulsion. We're not trying to scheme to get money out of you. That's not our desire at all, at all. We just believe in giving and in generosity because it reflects the heart of the kingdom of God and also so that ministry can be done, true ministry can be done as well. Well, church, I hope to see you next week here at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. Same time, same place, we are going to be here and I know that God is going to meet you. I pray that God stays with you, that it's not just here on a Sunday morning, but I pray that God stays with you throughout the week. I speak blessings upon you, the power and the peace of God upon you as you go into real life now. Go and apply and do what God has taught you today. Well, this is Pastor Tyler and on behalf of our entire team. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Be blessed.